Uh, my name is Mike Rutledge. I am the director of arts and one of the teachers around here. And we're in a series, we're in the fifth week of a series that we've called Behind Closed Doors, where we're looking at what it would mean to have Jesus truly living in your life as if he were living in your house. And the different rooms that we've looked at are uh, representative of very, very uh, essential areas of our lives. And what that would mean to, you know, have him in those rooms or those areas of our lives. We looked at like the living room and the home office where we talked about finances. And, uh, we, you know, we've, we've just been through the house. And uh, so... You, you probably already guessed where we're going today, right? Um, after hearing Love Shack and seeing the video, yes, we're having the talk. <laughs> today is the talk. And you know what? I'm actually super ready for this because I'm uh, right in the middle of, of, do, of you know, talking this through with my two youngest boys. We're reading a book together, What's the Big Deal? And uh, where we're, you know, I'm helping them understand how uh, girls have gone from being yucky to like, you know, sultry, desirous vixens, you know, <laughs> that they want to go with, you know, whatever. I don't know what that means when you're in fourth grade to go with someone. Anyway, uh, but, you know, last time I talked was on money, this time's on sex, and I know some of you are like, seriously, is nothing sacred in this place? And I, I would just tell you this, that, that the opposite is actually true. We believe at K2 that every single part of your life is sacred, and that's the very reason we want to talk about that stuff. Because for us to have good understanding around all of those different areas of our life is the only way that we're going to be able to live in the fullness of who God created us to be. And so we're going to talk about that stuff today. And I, I have to tell you, uh, I'm, I'm actually really looking forward to talking with you about sex. Okay, hearing it out loud feels creepy to say that. Yeah. Maybe I should have wink in the gun. I'm looking forward to talking to you about sex. You know? But that's not what I mean. I mean, I'm just really, really looking forward. I think in our lives, so many of us, uh, we have these hidden areas that we don't want to talk about. We don't want out in the open. And sex is one of those areas. But we all know that when you keep stuff in the dark and hidden, it's just a disaster waiting to happen. So we want to bring stuff out into the light and talk about it so that we, you know, how, how about this? If, how many of you, you know, I said I was going through this talk with my kids, my youngest boys right now, and uh, how many of you think, well, that's uncomfortable. He shouldn't talk to them about that. Of course, no one thinks that. And so that's the same thing we're going to be doing here. And it was really interesting as I was preparing for this, I remember this verse, Psalm 127.1, and it says, unless the Lord builds the house, right, the work of the builders is wasted. And we're talking about building the house and our house being the areas of our lives. And if you don't build even the specific rooms the way they're supposed to be built, you're just going to have problems. We, when Susie and I, my wife Susie and I, we, we lived in Michigan for a while and we moved into our first house and it was a new construction. All the houses were new and one of the houses, uh, not on our street, but a little ways over, they didn't do something right in the foundation, and one of the walls poof, completely crumbled after the people were living there. <laughs> yeah, and if you don't build each of the rooms right, you're gonna, stuff's going to leak. If you don't build a, the, the, the uh, load-bearing wall, I mean, there's so much. You have to build the whole thing right, and that's what we're going to be doing, looking at today when it comes to the bedroom. We're going to be talking about that. And here's what's really cool about the Bible and sex 
is that the Bible talks a lot about it. It talks about rape, and it talks about, you know, adultery, and it talks about incest, and it talks about sex inside of marriage and outside of marriage, and it talks about the right way to go about sex. And that's what we're going to look at today. And I, before I even dive into what I want to share with you today, I want to, sh- I, I, I want to just highlight two principles about the topic of sex that I think are foundational to understanding the right way to approach sex. The first overarching principle is this, Bill Clinton. All right? Principle number one, Bill Clinton. Now, I'm not going to go into politics, but you remember when he was president, he had a bit of a scandal on his hands that ended up, I think, leading to his impeachment, which I don't even know what that meant because he finished his presidency. But anyway, he... The scandal was with one of his interns, Monica Lewinsky, and when he was asked about it, he said, and I quote, I did not have sex with that woman. And then when pressed further, what we found out was he had so narrowly defined sex that he could say that in his mind. But the rest of the world was going, really? And I raised that, Bill Clinton is the first overarching principle because the real question is, how close is too close? How close is too close? See, I can narrowly define this, go, no, I'm not doing this, it's okay, because this doesn't fit in this, you know, this isn't the definition that I've come up with. I want to tell you, when I was uh, younger, I was in this band, and I had a friend in the band, his name was Stevie, really good friend, he was also a youth leader at his church, and he came into rehearsal one night, and he was kind of bummed out, I'm like, what's up, Stevie? And he said, well, he's talking to one of the kids in the youth group, and he's really upset. He ended up having sex with his girlfriend. And I'm like, oh, man. And I'm like, so what, what happened? He goes, well, that's exactly what I asked him. And he, he said, I don't know. It just happened. And so Stevie said, well, what, what do you mean it just happened? He goes, well, we were just over at her house. He said, who? And he goes, well, me and her. He goes, no one else? No. Well, that's probably not a great place to start. Then what happened? Well, we were just sitting on the couch. What are we doing? Well, we were making out. All right, well, that, that, okay. Then what happened? Well, then we just went in the bedroom, and the next thing you know, we're having sex. So just so you know, sex never accidentally happens. Right? What happens is a series of decisions where you can see, even in that scenario, you keep creeping. Is this far enough? You know, is first base okay? Is second base okay? Third base? Home run? Grand slam? Is there a grand slam? I don't, I don't even really know what the bases are. I, I get that it's a progression, you know. But the reality is in our lives, we have to create the boundaries for ourselves. And the, what happens with boundaries is we push all the way to the edge, don't we? I'm okay. I haven't crossed the line yet. I'll tell you another story. When I first started teaching, I taught at this school that was affiliated with, this, with a church. And the church and the school, because of its relationship with the church, had a no-mixed bathing policy. And the no-mixed bathing policy was that boys and girls, men and women, should never swim together in the pool together. Because, I think, I'm not sure, but I think because swimming would lead to sex, which would eventually lead to dancing. Right? <laughs> And you can't have that. Of course, I'm being flipped. But I will tell you this. That's an actual policy they had. And when I said that to you, some of you are like, that's absurd. It's so prudish. It's so... And some of you were like, I get it. Actually, it's not a bad policy. Because at some point, you have to figure out what base. Right? 
And the answer to the question of how close is very simple. Purity. You know what purity is? The absence of contamination. And when you keep pushing closer and closer to the edge, guess what happens? Contaminants start to creep in. Look at this verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It says this. Your boasting about this is terrible. Don't you realize that this sin is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast by removing the wicked person from among you. Then you will be like a batch of dough made without yeast. Bless you. It's a church, people. Come on. All right. Then you'll be like a fresh batch of dough made without yeast which is what you really are. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us, so let us celebrate this festival not with the old bread of wickedness and evil, but with the new bread of purity and love. What's he saying here? Well, we're going to talk about this a little bit more in just a second, but the Corinthian church had some stuff going on sexually in the church, and he's saying, this guy's crossed the line, and you guys are tolerating it. Not only are you tolerating then you're coming to the communion supper with all this wickedness and you just partying like Jesus Christ's death and resurrection was pointless. It didn't do anything. What you should be celebrating is not the wickedness, but you should be celebrating the purity. So the answer to the question, how close is too close? Is if you're not pursuing purity, you're too close. Pretty simple. It's not about being pure, you're too close. And I want to give you a real practical example about this. It's this, pornography. It's one of those, how close can I come and say I'm not cheating, I'm not having sex? Let me just tell you this, that it objectifies men and women, it makes you lust after others, and studies show that it immensely damages healthy relationships. Every time, you need to know this, every time people engage with, with pornography, powerful chemicals, more powerful than street drugs, are released into the brain making the mind think that fantasy is reality. And every time porn is used, a memory is created forming chemical links that lock the whole experience into the mind like burning a song onto a CD, but instead it's an image burned into the brain that the chemical release becomes highly addictive. And you're like, no, come on, not highly addictive. Check this, you don't believe it's highly addictive, let me tell you this. The amount of money the porn industry makes is bigger than the profits of professional football, professional baseball, professional basketball combined. It's a big deal. It's addictive and it's damaging to your relationship. Don't get as close as you can. Get as far away as you can. Pursue purity. That's the answer to the question. Too close if you're not, anytime it's not about purity, you're too close. The second principle, Bill Clinton number one, second is Wilt Chamberlain. And he addresses the question, how much sex is enough sex? If you remember back a while ago, he released a book where he told us that he had sex with 20,000 different women in his life. Just do the math. If he started when he was 15 and continued counting until he released his book and it was published, that would mean that he had sex with 1.4 different women a day. How much is enough? Apparently there is no end to it when it's not in the correct context. 
1 Corinthians 6.12 says, You say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I'm allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. I'm telling you what, if he's having sex, maybe he exaggerated, I don't know, but I'm just going to tell you, if he's having sex with one different person every day, even, he is a slave to that. He is a slave. He's addicted to it. And what we need to understand is that sex is not the point. It's a gift that God offers us as a means to reach greater unity and intimacy within a relationship. It's intended as the completion of the union, not a precursor to the union or apart from the union. And we can never separate the part of the thing from all the others that intend to make it whole. Romans 1.25 tells us this. They traded the truth about God for a lie, so they worshipped and served the things God created instead of the Creator Himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. What's he saying? See, God creates all this stuff. He gives us all these wonderful gifts. Sex is one of those. And instead of trying to please Him with our sexuality, we start worshipping the gift He gave us, which is sex. And clearly, it leads to junk in our lives. You say, well, how do you know that, you know, how, how do you know that, that, that that's the, the unity and intimacy is the person? Well, let's go back to Genesis chapter 2 again. It says, the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And then in verse 24 of the same chapter, he says, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united with his wife and they become one flesh. Two chapters later, Adam made love to his wife Eve and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. Now, let me just, let me just, Okay. So God creates man and he goes, it's not good for him to be alone. He needs to be in community with, with a woman. So he makes the woman, gives the woman to her, and says, here's the plan, you guys. Husbands and wives become one flesh. You leave your parents and you and your wife become intimate. Right? And it's, here's what's interesting. Here's how you know this. The word, when it says he made love to, to his wife or he had sexual relations with him, the word, the Hebrew word there is to know or he knew his wife. Okay? And it literally means to have greater understanding and to be intimate with and to experience. That's what that word means. Here's a little funny tip. The word, the Hebrew word is yada, Y-A-D-A. Right? And I think Seinfeld did an episode on this. Hey, what'd you do last night? Well, we went to the dinner and went to the ball game, yada, yada, yada. So if you ask your friends and they're like, they say that to you, yada, yada, yada. Holy smokes, what are you guys doing? But the answer to the question, how much is enough? is pretty simple. As much as you want in the correct context, and that's what I want to talk about today. What's the correct context? And to do that, I want to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I'm going to read the first five verses of that passage. Read, read, read this with me, if you will. Now, regarding the questions you asked in your letter, yes, it's good to abstain from sexual relations, but because there's so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. The husband should, should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and her husband gives authority to his body over his wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations 
unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterwards, you should come together again so Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Let me just talk about 1 Corinthians, this book. Now, he's actually, he says, he says now regarding the questions you asked me, first thing we need to know, uh, there, there were probably, there's a, Clearly, a letter written before to Paul, and he's answering the questions they asked in the letters. Probably another one between the books, too, even. But we have First and Second Corinthians in the Bible. And uh, he's answering the specific questions. Okay? And what, uh, Corinth itself was a very, very morally corrupt city. Very, very, very corrupt. Okay? And uh, well, as a matter of fact, they had shrines and temples in the city. Uh, the most uh, popular shrine in was the temple of Aphrodite, who was the goddess of love. Now, at that temple, first of all, that temple was situated on top of an 1,800-foot promontory, so you'd come into town, guess what you saw? Temple of Aphrodite. And what happened in the temple of Aphrodite is if you went there to worship, you had free use of the thousand Heroduli, which were consecrated prostitutes. So they're mixing their spiritual experiences with sexual experiences. That's what's going down. As a matter of fact, there, there was a, a term that was coined because the city was so uh, corrupt, and the, the term was Corinthiazama, uh, which meant to act like a Corinthian. Now, I mean, you don't have to think very hard to realize we have a similar place here in the United States, right? Vegas, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. What happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. And what, what happened, this is around 56 56 AD or so, people would go on moral vacations to Corinth because they could do stuff like this. And what's interesting is that the church in Corinth was struggling to follow the guidelines that God had laid out for them, specifically in terms of morality. And in the two chapters preceding seven, five and six, he addresses very specific sexual dysfunctions that were happening with the church, actually that were beyond even what the rest of the Corinth was doing crazy stuff. And he's like, you got to get this stuff dialed in, man. It's not okay. And then he gets to chapter 7, and he says, now let's talk specifically about what the correct context is for sex. And I have four things I want you to understand, four principles about the correct context for sex, according to God. The first is this. Married people have sex. That's point number one. What does that mean? It means married people should be having sex. It also means single people should not be having sex. But what if you're, like, engaged? Is that okay? I know I'm going to marry this person. No. Now, I'll just tell you this. If you're single and you're sitting here tonight or today, let me ask you a question. If sex is designed to achieve ultimate int intimacy and unity between you, so the bedroom is designed for that, how many people do you want to bring into your marriage bed? How many people do you want in that room? Because everyone you're intimate with, you bring to that room. So if you're single today, don't trade the future for the moment. Save yourself for that. Married people have sex. It says right there, let's look at verse 1. It says, now regarding the questions you asked me, yes, it is good to abstain from sexual relations, but because there's so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. Yada, yada, yada. 
One wife, one husband, together. Uh, and, and he's at, you know, he, he starts, is sex okay, or should we not be doing this? No, 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 be clear. You should be having sex if you're married. But it just has to be if you're, if you're married. And sometimes when you talk about this, it's, it would be very easy for people to go, is God a big prude or something? Like, what's going on with that? No, he's not. See, sex isn't wrong. It's the perversion or the corruption of the intention behind sex that makes it a problem. That's exactly what was happening. God gives us the gift, and Corinth in general, and the church specifically, was acting outside of the guidelines for sex. And it created all kinds of problems within the congregation and within the individual relationships and within the person. And it's very interesting, too, not only is God not approved, see, God gave us sex, and he gave us sex. The first, the first two commands he gives to Adam and Eve, you know what they are? Be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. So you say, okay, well, maybe he just, sex is supposed to be for, you know, procreation so we can populate the earth. But let me just say this. If that's the only goal behind sex, then why did God make it pleasurable? He could have made it any way he wanted, right? But he didn't. And the reason is because he wants husbands and wives to enjoy the experience together to bring greater unity to the relationship. But we have to be careful that we don't isolate the intention of the act from the act itself. So that's the first thing. Married people have sex. The second thing is this, that an unhealthy sex life is a check engine light on your marriage. When we moved here, oh, let me, when we moved here, I, um, I had this blue uh, Chevy Lumina. Some of you may remember this. And, uh, it was a great car. We drove it for a long time. It looked like a cop car. Anyway, um, so I never got pulled over in it. So that was good. But um, after a while, I mean, it had a lot of mileage. I started to have some engine problems and stuff like that. And so we tried to take care of stuff. And then just all of a sudden, the check engine light started popping up. And, and my temperature gauge started going crazy. One day I'm driving somewhere, light comes on, temperature gauge goes boom, and my engine blows up. Now, I'm not saying that in your marriage, if, if your check engine light is on, it's going to blow up. What I am saying is, if your check engine light is on in your marriage, and you don't pay attention to it, and figure out why it's on, your marriage is going to blow up. It's very, very, very important to be aware of that. I would actually say maybe, maybe an unhealthy sex life, it's a whole dashboard. Look at this, verse 3 of that same passage, chapter 7. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. See, we're supposed to be having sex to meet the needs of our spouse, and sex was a gift to enjoy that brought intimacy and unity between the two. Yada, yada, yada. To know each other. But if there's some, if your sex life is unhealthy, there's a problem. And let, let me just say this. Let me just define what an unhealthy sex life is. If one or both of you are dissatisfied with something in your sex life, you need to sort that out. Okay? If one or both of you are unhappy with something in your sex life, you need to figure out what that is and figure out how to solve that. 
And I understand maybe you're going through a tough season. Maybe you just had kids or whatever, grief and loss and things like that. There are, there are, there are reasons. It even says here, you know, maybe you want to set sex aside because you want to pursue prayer together. Okay, there are seasons, but as a general rule within your marriage, you should be having sex. And if you're not, you need to figure out what that is. And it could be a ton of reasons. It may be that there's a lack of connection between the two of you. It may be there's a lack of focus. Maybe there's no romance. Maybe there's a lack of intentionality. Maybe there's a medical issue. Maybe there's a lack of sexual abuse or some sort of abuse in the relationship that you need to get sorted out. Maybe there's a problem with pornography. Uh, maybe there's hurt feelings, relational drift. Maybe it's the way in which sex happens. Maybe it's, it's the frequency. Maybe there's stuff that you guys need to talk about, or maybe you need to see someone to talk about that. But as soon as there's a problem, as soon as your, your sexual relationship is unhealthy, your check engine light is flashing. And I'll just say one other thing on this. It's not only a check engine light for married people. It's a check engine light if you're not married because it's gonna blow up. If you're engaged in sex and you're not married, you're gonna have problems. The third thing I wanna share with you is this, that the core of sex is selflessness. Look at verse four of that same passage. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband and her husband gives authority over his body to the wife. And the first thing you, know on, you need to know on this point is, I'm not talking to your spouse, I'm talking to you. Right? You know why I'm saying that? Because giving authority over your body doesn't mean I get to tell you everything to do now. Boundaries are very important in sex. It doesn't mean you have to start doing things you're not comfortable with. But you should talk about that stuff. Right? You need to talk about that stuff. See, in God's agenda for everything, not just with sex, but everything in life, God's agenda is selflessness, other-centeredness. You know whose plan is selfishness? Satan. He wants everything in your life to be about you because if it's about you, you're going to destroy relationships around you. And you're not going to get intimate, receive, or achieve the intimacy that God designed. And you're not going to be united because it's not about unity, it's about you. This also, by the way means you don't get to play the I've got a headache card anymore. It means you don't get to play the I'm working so hard I just don't have time to romance you card. It means you don't get to, you know, withhold as punishment. It also means you don't get to go, I'm going to make him earn this or make her earn this. Because all of those statements are about you. And the goal is, as it says, you give authority over your body to your spouse. And I'll say one other thing on this. Don't allow yourself or encourage your spouse to separate sexual intimacy from sexual gratification. Don't say, I'm not in the mood. Why don't you go look at pornography? Go take care of it yourself. And you may laugh. No, these are real things. Do not encourage that in your relationship. Very damaging. That's the third thing. The core of sex is selflessness. The fourth thing is this. Be aware of temptation. Look at verse 5. 
Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And you just need to know that Satan's desire is to break up the unity in your marriage and keep you from intimacy in your marriage. He wants you to pervert the intent of sex. He wants you to try to build the bedroom on your own. Keep it in the dark. Don't talk about it. Keep that separate. Hide the stuff. And he does this by offering counterfeits or the temptations. Be aware that there's temptations. It says, you and your wife should be together because if you're not, there's going to be temptations. Because he created us as sexual beings. And if that need's not getting met, we're going to have problems. So he offers these counterfeits, these temptations for what our soul really craves. And that what our soul really craves is God's design for sex. And the way it works is like this. We're not finding what we want in our marriage. We're dissatisfied with our sex life. And we're like, oh, check engine light is on. You know what? I need a new car. Well, maybe you just need some oil. Well, that was actually not what I meant, but maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I'm probably, hey, it's been great. I'm probably fired tomorrow morning, I think. But anyway. Um, may, maybe there are, th maybe, I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I'm just saying, when the check engine light comes on, it doesn't mean you need a new car. You know, a sports car with a sports bra. <laughs> or a younger car. Or a skinnier car. Or a hotter car. See, but what happens, the check engine light comes on and we don't like something and instead of looking inward to fix what God designs for us, because when you fix the issues in your marriage, guess what happens? Unity and intimacy at a new level. And what happens is he or she is not fulfilling my needs and I start to look elsewhere. Man, that mother or that kid on my kid's soccer team, I bet she'd fulfill my needs. That coworker always seems to understand my feelings. I bet they'd fulfill my needs. That person I see every Sunday at church, they're so nice. I bet they'd fulfill my needs. And here's a little tip. As long as you're looking outward, you will never find the person that will fulfill your needs of unity and intimacy. And I'll tell you this too. My wife told me this between services. She says, you know, you think about this. The only place where you can have intimacy with two people is within marriage, with God and yourself. You can't be intimate with your husband or your wife and another person because intimacy implies one wife, one husband. In a nutshell, temptation gets your eyes looking somewhere they shouldn't be looking. It gets your head thinking thoughts it shouldn't be. It gets your heart to trust lies that aren't true. And eventually, if it works, it gets you doing things you shouldn't be doing or believing stuff. It's going to fill the void that never will fill the void. Here's what I want to do in closing this morning. I'm going to invite the band back up. And we're going to head into a time of musical worship here. But I want to go back to those two questions. Just revisit those real quickly. 
How close is too close when it comes to sex? The answer is really simple. Ask yourself this. Am I pursuing purity with this? Or am I trying to feed a need? Because if you're feeding a need, you're too close. The second question is, how much is enough? And the answer is, again, very simple. As much as you want within the correct context. And that context is what we just talked about. So what do I do with this information? I'm talking to single and married people today. What do you do with this information? Some of you guys just need to sit down and talk to your spouse. Just need to get some stuff out on the table. You need to say, hey, you know what? I think our sex life isn't healthy. Let me tell you what I'm thinking. Let me share with you some thoughts that I have around this. I feel unsatisfied in this area. And listen, I want to be united with you. I want to be intimate with you. I want to go to new levels that we've never gone to. And the only way we're going to get there is if we talk through this stuff. So let me just sit down with each other and talk about it. Some of you need, just need to repent to God and go, man, I've got this stuff all jacked up. I turned around. I'm separating the intent and the, the actual experience. And I just need to repent to God and confess to Him. And maybe I need to confess to my wife or my husband about some stuff that's going on in my life. Maybe I need to seek my spouse's forgiveness. You wonder what the coolest thing is? The very second you confess to God, the very second you confess to God, you're forgiven. Even if your feelings don't let you believe that. The second you confess, you start new. Giant reset button in your life. Right there. And if you're having a hard time believing that, just keep telling yourself the truth until your feelings catch up with your thoughts. Because it'll happen. Some of you guys, some of you women, you need to maybe find an accountability group where you can share some of the stuff you're struggling with in a safe place where you can say, hey man, I, I, I need someone to hold me to this, man. I, I got this in the dark. I need to get this out in the light. I need a safe place. I need, I need you to call me on it. Some of you couples you just need to get away for a weekend and be able to refocus, get away from the kids and the responsibilities of work and the sports schedules and blah, 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 and have some yada, yada, yada or whatever. Just get your focus back. Some of you are in relationships that maybe you need to break up with because it's not honoring God. It's not pursuing purity. Here's the best part. Some of you might need to release some guilt and some shame that you're carrying because of past stuff. Confess it and you're done, man. You're done. If you're feeling shame, that's not from God. Know that. Shame that you may be feeling is coming from Satan. Because he's the accuser and the condemner. He wants you to feel terrible. He doesn't want you to move forward. He doesn't want intimacy. Realize God is for you. He makes you new. He's rich in love. He's slow to anger. His grace abounds forever. So we're going to move into musical worship here. I'm going to pray. We're also going to take our offering. And again, just 
one more opportunity for you to say, God, thank you for your grace and your love and for everything you do in my life. Let me return my tithe. I'm going to give 10% back to you. It's all yours anyways. But I'm going to pray. And I, I just think the question we all need to ask ourselves is this right now. God, what are you saying to me? What's my dashboard look like? What's my dashboard look like? Pray with me if you would. Heavenly Father, we love you. Your desire is for us to be completely who you designed us to be. And the thing that keeps us mostly from being that is us. Allow us to get out of our own way so that you can fully operate in who we are. May we be operating in the context you designed for us so that we can